90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? Pretty good. We, uh, you know, we had been very dry, very hot, very, very hot. And, uh, just got some hail tonight. We've been getting rain Ooh. like every morning and every evening. It's been uh, kind of nice. So it's so funny because when you lived in Colorado, you would talk about stuff and then a day later we would receive it. <laughs> and now you're to my east. And um, yeah, so it's a role reversal weather-wise. Like 12 hours later, I get it. Uh-huh, yeah, exactly. But man, we have not gotten any. It has driven me insane. It has skirted just north of us. All week, we've gotten maybe like 0.03 inches in the past three days. And it's so disappointing because we are right on the line. And you can see it raining five miles north. It's made me very sad is all in my whole <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know, you know, we had some feedback it was quite a while back now. But somebody said like, hey, you guys don't have to talk about the weather every show. But you really do when you live in the plains. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, because it greatly affects your quality of life. <laughs> yeah. Heat dome, sir, or whoever said that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rough. And also, like, we're old weather nerds. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> It's true, and you know, I was all excited. I was going to get my hail ruler out, and <laughs> it, it, I don't know, we had slightly larger than pea size for maybe 90 seconds, and then when it quit, I went, come on, Storm. <laughs> oh. I was like, no, no, don't wish for hail. I was like, no, I don't want hail. I just want more Storm. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. More Storm and Cowbell. Um, yeah. More, more, and... more Storm, yes. So. <laughs> but no, that's, uh, that's kind of what you know, weather-wise has been going on, but it's even closer. You know, last week we talked about some things that you might want going back to school or getting started in the geology hobby. Mm-hmm. And this week you suggested that we address the first question that anybody getting into this is going to have, which is they walk outside and they pick up a rock and they go, what's this? <laughs> and the answer is chert. And now for a fun paper Friday. <laughs> I mean, depends on where in the country you are. Yes, that is true, and we'll get to that for sure. Um, yeah, so when we said going back to basics, I mean, this is the most basic thing. And it's not even easy for geologists sometimes either, right? Some rocks are kind of hard to identify because, you know, we have three types of rocks, igneous, metamorphic, and sedimentary. But we think of these as bins you can put the rocks in, but really that's a continuum, right? And so when you get in those little gray areas in between, it can actually get pretty hard to just make even that very first quote unquote easiest assessment of what type of rock is this. Right. And that's when you start getting into the ozed <laughs> words. <laughs> or the ite words. This is metamorphosed. <laughs> Oh, it's so true. Um, although I've never said igneous ozed, but. <laughs> right. Yeah, but we yeah. just say burnt. Yep, that's, that's exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the four people that are igneous people listening to this. Yes, that is exactly what we say. Burnt rocks. <laughs> yeah, so you've got burnt, crushed, or squished, basically. <laughs> and And somewhere uh, in between is where most things lie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I mean, I. I have definitely seen in the field seasoned field geologists arguing over what time period is like, what formation is this from? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, so you go out and you pick up a rock and really the first tool you're ever going to want is probably a rock hammer because most rocks, if you're just walking out and picking it up, have some sort of weathering gunk on them, right? Yeah, everybody says, well, first thing you do is look at the rock. And that's wrong. The first thing you do is break the rock. Yes, is correct. You first thing you do is break the rock. So be very careful when you're doing this. And if you're new to rock hammers, you never hit with the pointy end. Okay? You always hit with the hammer end. Um, and watch your eyeballs. And so you want a fresh piece of the rock 
because, like we just said, it's kind of hard to identify rocks sometimes. So you want to start with the best piece you can find, which is always like a fresh surface. And I mean, really, the first thing I'm looking for is, are they crystals or are they grains? I don't know how you go about this. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a pretty good first step. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I mean, my first step is probably to measure VPVS for the rock. But, ah, 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 uh, not with your rock hammer. It's, well, no, I guess you could actually. <laughs> do you remember that blog post that I did years ago where oh, we were trying yeah. to do VPVS with iPhones and people jumping? And it kind of sort of worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, no, geophysics will find a way. Um, <laughs> hey, that new app is pretty incredible and does a bunch of cool stuff, but that's a whole different show. Okay. Right, but so, okay, is it grains or is it crystals, which may not be super familiar terms depending on how unfamiliar you are with geology in general. So right. rock is made up of lots of things, and are they pieces of other rock? Are they grains? Are they think sand grain but doesn't have to be sand of course mm-hmm. uh, or is it something that grew think those uh, remember you put sugar and water and dip a string in it and you grow crystals right right exactly and so that's just an observation i want to make but you have to remember there are sedimentary rocks that have crystals too so uh, it's not actually going to get you to that answer quite yet but it is the, I guess, easiest thing to see. Can I see actual crystals? Do I see round chunks of what looks like other rocks? Like, what do I see when I open this up? And I'm not saying color. Color matters 0% in all of this equation. Yes. Uh, and the crystals can be teeny tiny. This is where you need your hand lens. Yep. Mm-hmm. I know where you can and, buy one, right? <laughs> yep, yep, we know where you can get one. And do you see, like, if it's quartz, you know, do you see a hexagonal profile? Mm-hmm. You're not going to get a bunch of little clasps of other rock that all somehow get perfectly hexagonal. Right, exactly. And so shape would be that next thing that you want to look at and that's going to get you into a much better place of is this an igneous rock with big beautifully grown crystals or is this a bunch of round quartz that are clearly grains that we would just normally call sand right yeah so trying to figure out how is it weathered or not mm-hmm. uh, you know well, what was it broken up from other pieces and like you said igneous rocks can have really big chunks i mean well pegmatites right right yeah exactly this is really funny i guess i've never tried to explain this before so now like trying to explain it this is actually very hard to do right (laughs) like if you think about like intro geology labs they're always already segregated for you But to try to walk out with no previous knowledge and make this determination is really hard (laughs) because, like you just said, igneous rocks can have some really big chunks in them. They could have metamorphic rocks can have chunks of other rocks in them, too. So it depends on where you're looking. Um, This is actually quite difficult. I'm surprised geology got started at all. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, I don't think this is a... You said walk out with zero knowledge. I think if you just pull a rock from somewhere in the world, doesn't even have to be a tricky rock, just a rock, and hand it to a geologist with zero context at a conference, it would be fascinating to see the distribution of answers you get Mm -hmm. as to what it is. Yep, that's absolutely right. I mean, they're very classic looking rocks, you know, but now that I think about this, because there are rocks in my backyard that my kids have brought me, and I know what type of rocks I live on because I'm a nerd like that. And I still would, I would not be able to give them an answer had I not just seen them pick it up off the ground, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I've definitely got some things where it's like, well, is this, I don't, is this, <laughs> is this metamorphic? I don't really know. 
and there are things that people have given me. So this is a cool rock that, you know, my husband's brother's uncle's aunt's grandfather gave him. Uh-huh. Yep. It's like, yeah, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So this is certainly a more difficult problem than I thought about. So but, I mean, you got to okay, start so somewhere. So those are the good places to start. Does it look like it's good, pieces yeah. of other rocks or not? And... I mean, this is almost more a mineral identification thing, but I like to see how hard it is. And so when you're breaking off that fresh piece, that's a good observation to take. Yeah. And, you know, you can get some, you could carry your different hardness files out there with you if you really wanted to. But yeah. most of the time, something like knowing a pocket knife's around a six is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, one of the things that we stress over and over and over again in field camp, um, and because this is, when you've identified there's sort of grains, like there's two types of sedimentary rocks, right? You've got your clastic rocks, like your sandstones, or your chemical rocks, like you were talking about sugar coming out of water, that are like limestones, right? And so um, if you've already broken off a piece of rock, you have a rock hammer, you can take that rock and you can rub it on your rock hammer, which is, you know, made of steel or metal. And right. so then you can tell, are you scratching the rock or is the rock scratching your hammer? And you can at least get some preliminary mineralogy that way because quartz will scratch your hammer, but it won't scratch, limestone won't scratch your hammer. Right. Yeah. So, so that helps too because it's going to be... <laughs> Again, none of these tests are indicative. It's not like you can go down this decision tree of, okay, you know, yes, it's this, go left. Okay, it's this, go right. It, they they all come together to help form form the image. So, okay, you've broken the rock. You've looked at the grains. You've determined the grain shape and how hard you think the grains may be. What's next? Well, so... Another one that you can do just when you're breaking it open, too, and I think this because here where I, where I live in central Oklahoma, there's a rock called the Garber Sandstone. And so when we talk about igneous rocks, and if you deal anything with aquifers especially, or oil and gas, you talk about how much space is there in an igneous rock to hold a liquid or a gas. And that's called porosity, so the spaces in between the grains. We've had shows about this before in great gory detail, but if a rock, oh, yes. <laughs> if a rock has porosity and you go to compress it by hitting it, you're going to be able to tell that it has that, that feature, right? So igneous rocks and metamorphic rocks generally have zero porosity, um, unless they're fractured. Uh, so generally they have zero porosity. And so if something has porosity, you can tell when you hit it, it just feels different. And so the Garber sandstone here essentially explodes because it has super high porosity and when you hit it it's almost not even a rock it almost just like explodes into puffs of sand um and so immediately i know oh this is definitely not an igneous or metamorphic rock and in the parlance of geologists you know we call those hard rocks versus sedimentary rocks which are called soft rocks and we would say that if it does explode when you hit it it's friable yes mm -hmm. yep Exactly. And you could even say already it has high porosity. Look at all these things, observations we've made just by whacking a rock with a hammer. Right. And, you know, another, I guess this is a difference between going out and picking up a, so when we say pick up a rock, I think of hand sample, meaning roughly baseball size thing. Right. Yeah. When you're really in the field, when you're looking at something, trying to understand it, you're looking at a whole formation. Right. And you need to whack off hand samples several places in that formation. Mm-hmm. Yep. I because do. then you can look at things like sorting and all this other stuff that we've talked about in the past. Exactly. Ideally from an outcrop. So a place where the rocks are are in place, but you can see them... Um, right there at the surface, sort of in their natural habitat, not this already broken off piece, just like you said, John. Yep. And a great place, if you are getting into this or you want somewhere to go practice as a geology student, uh, go find a road cut. 
Yeah. Because road cuts are there because there's interesting geology <laughs> that that's, the road needed to go through. That's exactly right. Road cuts, always be safe, though. You know, wear a reflective vest if you're on an even moderately busy road cut. Um, so that's a great place. The other great place to go is where you make natural cuts in the landscape, which are stream beds. So they'll do the same thing, albeit maybe not as nice and clean as a road cut. And you know if you're in a stream environment, for example, you can start bringing that context in of you're probably not going to find a lot of igneous rocks mm-hmm. in the stream. And, yeah, unless you're in the middle of a super powerful river that's been there for a very, very long time, a la the Colorado River and the Grand Canyon, right? Because it's much harder to break down an igneous rock. Man, who knew all these observations just from this tiny little <laughs> piece of information? Because it was great, because you said it's not like there's a flow chart that you can go down, but that's exactly what we do in intro geology labs, though, isn't it? Oh, it is. You're like, what is, I mean, yeah, can you see grains? Yes, no. Um, how hard is it? You know, very hard, not very hard. Like, yeah, you just go down these decision <laughs> trees and then say, oh, it must be a, well, and then you get really hung up on the terminology in the intro <laughs> classes i feel like uh, uh, of, oh, like yes. this is a oh gosh i'm trying to remember all my geology words here because i don't do that kind that of geology kind of anymore geology? yeah um exactly this that. is a porphyritic rock with Ooh, there you, crusts, go. Yeah. you know <laughs> good job <laughs> yeah that's exactly right and so it's funny to think of teaching this i thought this would be a super simple subject with the absence of that igneous metamorphic sedimentary context. Cause you know, that's lab three, four and five, right. But not how right. it works in the real life, <laughs> but you're going to get there. Well, at least probably 66.6% of the way. If you take a whack at this rock and it's super, super hard or it's really, really soft. So then you can sort of divide sedimentary versus igneous and metamorphic. So if you have something like we just talked about that was really soft, it explodes, it's friable, you can see these little pieces that were probably other rocks at one time, you can say sedimentary, but you still want to go one step further to say clastic or chemical. Right. And here, this one is pretty straightforward. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it really is. Um, Can you see pieces or is it a big mass? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or is it like a soft rock with crystals, essentially? Um, Limestones, well, more particularly dolomites, can get some pretty well-developed crystals. Um, So that's, that could be tricky, trying to tell like a very pure dolomite from an igneous rock just because there are crystal faces but it's very very soft and if you went one more step into this and you happen to have hydrochloric acid on you um which is easily attainable it sounds like a crazy (laughs) statement unless you're talking to a geologist It (laughs) it is very easily attainable um then you can use your hydrochloric acid, and this is what we do to tell limestone from dolomite. So these are both like the two types of chemical sedimentary rocks. Uh, dolomite won't fizz unless you powder it up um, because it's reacting with the uh, calcium in there. So CaCO3 is carbonate, CaMgCO3 is dolomite. Um, so if you powder it up, it will fizz. If you don't powder it, and you just put it on there, it doesn't fizz. Limestone will fizz no matter what. I guess the official word is effervesce. Right. Yes. have to use the, the science words. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> so that's the easiest way to do it. But if all you care about is chemical sedimentary rock, well, you're there. Right. And, you know, in our neck of the woods, again, this is knowing some of the context of where you are, too. Mm-hmm you're probably going to be picking up either a classic sedimentary rock like sandstone or limestone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's about it at the surface. Those are it. Yes. You can get all kinds of different, um, especially if you buy 
um, one of John's camp kits that has all this identification stuff in there. When you talk about classic sedimentary rocks, if you want to get more involved in it, it all comes down to size of the particles that are in there. Um, and that's kind of how they're, it is also done by, um, done by composition, but the easy beginner's way is to look at the size of things. So is it a sandstone? Because sand is actually a size, not a composition. We use the word sand right. incorrectly 98% of the time, <laughs> right? Um, so sand is a size. Uh, but then you have like mudstones or siltstones. And that's just smaller grains, grains that you wouldn't really see without your um, hand lens essentially. And the difference between silt and mud is my favorite one to do because what you have to do is chew on the rock and then you'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is yeah. it gritty or not? Exactly. So if you rub the rock against your teeth or better yet, if you take a little bite out of it and it melts in your mouth, it's not chocolate, it's a mudstone. And if you can fill any grit at all, it's a siltstone. And this is geology. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> Um, so that's probably, you know, and then you get up into the big conglomerates um, that can have some really honking big uh, pieces within them. And those are fairly easy from even a distance to tell that those are sedimentary rocks. Igneous rocks right. are, I mean, if you've identified that you have a hard rock, especially igneous intrusive rocks are fairly easy. It's a little trickier the other way. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, like, a granite is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. You've yep. got crystals. It's got the classic compositions. you got case bar. you got micas. Mm-hmm. Big uh, quartzes, you know. Quartzes, hornblende. And so these are clearly not grains. They're crystals that interlock. John alluded, or he said earlier, uh, it looks like they've grown together. So that's a pretty good idea that you have an intrusive. And what do I mean by that? Uh, a rock that is cooled, magma that's cooled below the surface. It never got erupted in a volcano or anything. And so it had a lot of time to cool and a lot of time to grow big interlocking crystals. And big is a relative term here. It just means can you identify the fact that there are crystals with your eyeball? That means it's probably right. an intrusive rock. And metamorphic is special because it's something else that got heated and squished <laughs> and is sort of igneous, but not really. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it could be a conglomerate. I, I've got one that I'm staring at right now on my rock shelf that was a conglomerate where the clasts were igneous rock that later experienced extreme deformation and those clasts are all elongated. Oh, fun. So it used to be igneous, and then it was sedimentary, and then it became metamorphic and almost igneous again. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so, you know, there are, there are some pretty weird ones yes. out there. But, again, if you just go pick up a rock from a random place on the surface of the Earth, the chances of it being weird are low. Right, and the chances of it being chert are high. <laughs> yes. Like, I keep making this joke, but it is... So true, because chert is just a type of quartz, but it's microcrystalline quartz, which means that the quartz crystals are actually microscopically tiny, but they've grown together and formed together in a lot of cool, different, generally, cool different forms and colors. And so it's quartz. It will last a long time. That's why it's abundant. And it's very collectible because sometimes this, like, chert starts to look really neat. Like, you can get all different colors and, and types of, you know, swirlies and all this stuff. And it sticks around for a long time. So, for real, if a kid hands you a rock and says, what is it? Yeah, you should definitely just say chert. Well, but, okay, so you're talking about crystals that grow together, which sounds an awful lot like what we just described. Oh, uh, see? And it's not. It's a sedimentary rock. It's igneous rock. rock. <laughs> yeah. But it's sedimentary, yes. Oh, yeah. Chert's actually, oh, yeah. The chert's a whole, whole other thing. Chert's actually a mineral, so it's just cryptocrystalline quartz. But it forms in a bunch of different ways that we can, we should actually do a whole show about chert. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
we're going to do a whole show about chert and we'll talk about it. But... And then sometimes you get these cool like chert nodules and limestone. Mm-hmm. Yep, you sure can. And yep. Um, chalcedony, that's a whole different type of chert. Yeah. So again, you can go as deep into this as you want, but most of the rocks you pick up on the surface of the planet as you're walking around are probably going to be sedimentary because they're going to be weathered from somewhere, filling up a basin from a mountaintop, carried by a river, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, it's like and, 75% of rocks at Earth's surface, and this includes stuff in the ocean, are sedimentary rocks. And if it's not sedimentary, like, you know, in Oklahoma, there is a big granite outcrop, right? Yeah, exactly. So we do have a lot of granite. There's a very few amount of metamorphic rocks here. And, you know, people think that Oklahoma is pretty boring, but actually geologically it's pretty interesting we have five mountain ranges for goodness sake yes there are mountains they're tiny but they're still mountains technically (laughs) and so we have the wichita's in southwestern oklahoma that are very clearly granite there's a bunch of different types of granite because there's a lot of really cool chemical interactions when they were being made but they're just these big crystals it looks like a very run-of-the-mill countertop that's when you know you've got a granite but also down in the wichita's are extrusive igneous rocks. And these are a little bit more difficult to identify because when you have, and so if you've been to Hawaii or anywhere with volcanoes and you have basalt, again, you can't do this on color, even though you want to because basalt is very dark in color, but it doesn't have really large crystals to see. So you might want to, you might get it confused If you're like, well, I can't see any crystals, you know, maybe it's like a limestone or something until you hit it with your hammer and you realize, oh, this is ridiculously tough. This is very highly likely an extrusive igneous rock. Yes. But also all around the Wichita's, which are igneous, guess what's there? Sedimentary because all the igneous is eroding. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is absolutely right. Uh, so, I mean, if you do want to find interesting rocks that aren't just the same old, same old, go to places where there are topography because topography is generated by geology. Mm-hmm. And, and start looking for this, what created this topography. Where is the material that created the topography going to? What does the rock there look like? Exactly. And that's also a really good... That's what a lot of sedimentologists do. It's called provenance analysis, where you can take all those sediments that are in little streams or big rivers and say, where did you come from? And you can figure out the history of that whole drainage area by looking at the sizes and shapes of those mineral constituents and figure out what rocks they themselves came from, which is kind of fun to do. It's like putting them back together. Yeah, it's winding back the clock. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's, (laughs) I feel like, I don't want to say that igneous rocks are easy because they're not. If you want to start getting into naming igneous rocks, that is all geochemical. And we know how I feel about that. (laughs) Right. Well, and you know, it's the same. We've talked about the classification system for sedimentary before. We've talked about what we know about igneous and metamorphic, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's beyond the scope of what we're trying to do here. We're just trying to say, yeah, somebody runs up to you with a rock in their hand and says, what is this? Yeah. Yep. These are the things that you need to do. And so, make sure they're okay with you breaking their precious rock apart. Absolutely. Because some people just want to put it on their shelf. <laughs> Always ask first. That is exactly right. So our geological survey, um, so if you're anywhere around here, the Oklahoma Geological Survey, I think once a month, um, Dr. Molly Yunker is a, <laughs> she's a geoscience education PhD, and she holds a what's my rock session, and it's really cool. So she will sit down there and identify rocks, and that is always something she's like, can I break this? Can I put acid on it? You know, and a lot of people are like, no, I just want to know. So that's always a cool thing. If you do have a tricky one, you should look for your local university or geologic survey and see if they're willing to take a look at it for you. But we still have one more type of rock which we will not talk about long because neither one of us are good at this one at all. <laughs> so, yeah, metamorphic rocks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, <laughs> they exist. <laughs> they exist, definitely, if it's a rock that you're like, well, 
it's kind of like a sedimentary rock, or it's kind of like an igneous rock, but different. That's when I start getting suspicious. Oh man, that's a great that is a great way to describe it. That's exactly right. <laughs> and uh, that, the and other thing because... is, if I'm anywhere around significant deformation, yeah, I'm suspicious. Right. If you're in, you know, uh, the Northeast, like the Berkshires, significant deformation. Mm-hmm. If you're in mountain ranges, significant deformation. Especially like old mountain ranges, like the Appalachians. So anything out east, because that deformation is the the heat and pressure is the most in the middle of them, and so those are weathered metamorphic rocks there. But I mean, it makes sense what you said that it's like igneous ish or sedimentary ish, because I mean that's what metamorphic rocks come from. So. Yeah, you it, you say well, this looks like a. I'm going to use you know sandstone just general. This looks like a sandstone, but it's really hard, mm-hmm. and I can't see any pore space. Mm-hmm. Exactly, suspicious. Right. Uh, also, because metamorphic rocks are generated by heat and deformation, look for just like I described in that metamorphic rock that's on my shelf right now, deformed clasts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, is there evidence? Like, can you see? folding or faulting in the rock i love when you get a rock that's got little veins of mineralization in it and they're folded oh or they're offset those there's some weird um there's some weird name for like those little veins that get broken and so they have little um faults in them it has something to do with like witches rocks or something i don't know i'll define this there's some weird story about those little offsetting veins like that. Um, But it's like there's also for metamorphic rocks, there's sort of easy ones to identify and there's hard ones. And those easy ones have those indicators, especially if you have foliation. That's an easy metamorphic rock indicator right there. So what is foliation? Uh So as you, so you heat up a rock. So temperature and pressure do this to igneous and sedimentary rocks they turn them they metamorphose them right and get into the oses yep exactly (laughs) and so within that process the atoms actually can move around and they can move around and do a bunch of different things they can make totally new minerals they can slightly change the minerals that are in there and in some cases what happens is different minerals that have different densities will align and so very frequently these are light and dark minerals. I'm not going to use exact colors because there's a range, but in general, light and dark minerals will get segregated into lines. And then because you're probably in a high pressure situation too, those lines get turned into really pretty like folds. And that is foliation. And they can be weak along those planes too. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So like the expensive countertops, those are metamorphic rocks that are foliated. Right. <laughs> Cheap countertops that are rocks, just your run-of-the-mill granites. But the fancy ones with all those swirlies in them, definitely nices and other really cool metamorphic rocks. But then some of them are weak along those planes, right? Like you can get slate, right? Slate is a metamorphosed shale, so a metamorphosed sedimentary rock. And you can break them along their little planes of foliation. And there you go. Now you got tiles for your bathroom or your house or whatever. Yeah, if it comes apart like a buttermilk biscuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Less delicious, yep. though. <laughs> I mean, you're the one that's tasting rocks to tell if they're mudstone. <laughs> All the time. Uh, but the unfoliated metamorphic rocks, those are hard. Those are really hard. Well, not in the hardness scale. Hard to identify. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, why don't you have foliation? Well, if you heat up something like a limestone, you're going to make marble. Now, some marble's really pretty because some limestones have a lot of different chemical composition. And so when you heat them up, you get cool colors or maybe a few lines or something like that in them. But a lot of them are real boring. And so you heat it up and now you got this real boring white marble. And that's also 
hard to tell sometimes because remember it's a continuum and so that rock can very often will still fizz because there's still calcite in there and you get real confused about whether it's an actual limestone or a marble well i mean let's put it in you know one of your friends talks about rocks in terms of kitchen things right yeah Mm -hmm. so okay you've got a pack of skittles and you dump them in a bowl sedimentary you crush them with maybe a little bit of heat and you make kind of a big swirly colorful glob metamorphic Mm -hmm. and you put them in a pan and really heat them up and melt it down to sugar and pour it out on the countertop and get a sheet of white sugar igneous yeah extrusive igneous just one big crystal like obsidian or something Mm, but more delicious uh and you can see that there's a continuum in there, like you said, because you've got your, you know, your loose Skittles that you start compressing. And there is some state where you would go, that's metamorphic-ish. Exactly. Yep. They're kind of stuck together, but not totally. And maybe they're, maybe you're getting pressure melting at the grain boundaries to really kick it up a notch here. Exactly. That's the most, uh, yeah, that's. That's a very fine line between metamorphic and sedimentary right there that is always, yeah, really exciting to to discuss. Well, and looking at, you know, what holds the rock together? We've talked about a lot about what the rock is made up of. But, okay, you see pieces. Can you tell what they're held together by? Yeah. The presence of cement or not is yeah. a big indicator of sedimentary or not sedimentary but you'd be surprised how much metamorphic rocks sometimes look like they have cement oh yeah (laughs) or igneous rocks too because you can get john said this fancy word earlier porphyritic um so you can get porphyries which have both large crystals and tiny crystals and so that gets confusing because sometimes those look like conglomerates so rocks are difficult (laughs) But we do live in an information age, and largely the surface expressions of rocks have been mapped. Yes. So you shouldn't feel bad using that information to help learn and to help look for types of rocks that you want to learn more about. So how can people find maps? Right, exactly. And so this is super easy now. Um, I would caution you, and we've actually done a whole show about this, about falling into the, I have this rock identifier app, you know, this just it's too hard because of all these reasons we've just talking about to like click on a rock and identify what type it is. But you can do this yourself by doing all the things we just talked about and then pulling out your uh, phone. And there are two apps that are super amazing. And the first one that I would talk about is this app called Rocked, and it's R-O-C-K-D, and it's from the uh, University of Wisconsin. Um, the Macrostrat Lab there is the one who first did it, and it is amazing because what it does is it finds your location, and it will tell you what like physiographic province you're in, so are you in the Great Plains, like we talked about earlier? Are you in, you know, Canyonlands or whatever? And then it will locate you and it will pull up a very, not super detailed all the time, geologic map and said, oh, well, it appears that you're standing in, you know, the Dakota sandstone and it's Cretaceous in age. And here's your elevation and your location. You can look at it on a map. You can actually use this to take strikes and dips too. Um, and you can see, this is super neat, like where the continents were when the rock you're standing on was made. Cause that makes a big difference whether you're at the pole or at the equator. Um, and then you can click on anything and read about that specific unit formation group rock type. And then also about similar ones around there at the same time. So I use this one quite a lot. I think it's really fun. Um, and just like any other app like this, you can like check in and have like, you know, progress of what rock type you're on and then 
sort of like have this little map of all these places that you've been. And you can see like check-ins. So where there's a lot of check-ins, you know, there's something interesting there. Yes, yes, exactly. So I use this like when I was in um, Central Park to find like the Manhattan schist and stuff. And so to like go to see, because the little outcrops are pretty tiny, but I wanted to see all the different ones. And so I use this app for that. And I use it all the time. This is really cool. It is not the level of detail of, say, a map you're going to produce at field camp, everybody. So if you think you're going to use this to cheat, it's not going to get you there. <laughs> not at all. But if you're using it to further your geologic knowledge, you absolutely should because it's really cool. And some places are fairly detailed in there. Um, so that's my favorite one to use. But there is another one, and that's called Flyover Country. And we actually had the creators of Flyover Country on the podcast a while back. Um, and that one has a lot more, like, there is paleontological information on Rocked, for sure. But there's a lot more paleontological and sort of, like, fun things to do and hikes and interesting points of, um, you know, just points of interest. All of that is on this app called Flyover Country. Yes. And I, I just pulled up Rocked, and yes, it gave me a pretty accurate description of what I'm sitting on and mm -hmm. the age, and I, I was very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like to use that, too. I, Flyover Country is really cool because you can put in they're, – they're kind of different for me. So, like, one's – I feel like Flyover Country is very touristy, sort of, um, in a great way. This is not in a bad way at all. Like, in the greatest way. And you can put in – like your starting point and your end point and tell, tell it how you're traveling. Are you flying? Which is, this is obviously where this word comes from, the flyover country. Um, if you're flying, if you're driving, and it will give you all these like cool points of interest, fossil localities, all this stuff along the way, you can use it. You can download it so you can use it offline so you can just follow along while you're on the airplane and see what you're flying over, which is really cool. This is, exactly. where we, this is where we learn the word um, charismatic megafauna. Oh, yes. Yeah. I think that might have been the episode title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we learned that word when we were talking to the <laughs> creators of this app. Yeah, but it's really cool. Um, so those are the two that are really neat. If you get super, super excited about this and you want to go even further, or if you're at your computer and you want to do this stuff, I would highly recommend you go to the National Geologic Map Database. And so that is ngmdb.usgs.gov. And this is awesome. This is the very hardcore, like we definitely use this for our research um, and everyone else does too. And it is an excellent interactive um, website that will give you like all the available maps, all the topo maps, all the geologic maps at all the different scales that are available. Um, my friend and I actually talked about inventing something like this ages and ages ago. And it makes me sad we didn't pursue that because this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And again, a resource that is relatively new. Yeah. Yeah. And it just keeps getting better and better and better. It was a little frustrating to use at first. Um, it's gotten amazing. So you can just click on wherever you are and it will have a little box there and it will tell you all the published maps that are available. And there's just, they're just a link away for you to click on them. Um, and some geologic maps come with little reports. So sometimes those are available too. It's super amazing. And this is, much more in-depth um, as well. So once you've mastered all the rest of it and you want to go into more in-depth, this is where you should start. Yeah, so I think that does a pretty good job of covering what you need to do when you walk outside is pull up one of these apps, learn the context, pull up a rock, and break it. Start <laughs> looking at things. That's exactly right. And check in on Rocked because everyone wants to know where you're doing it at. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But when you're doing it and you're breaking apart all those rocks, I mean, you're severing things at the atomic level. 
Ooh, that was a stretch, but I guess we'll accept it. That means it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> which is where they look at how angular are electrons. Not at all. Not at all. They are very, very spherical, and that's our show. Exactly. So this makes me mad because I feel like this is what we learned in chemistry class. And we had little round electrons floating around. And then we're like, no, 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 it's a cloud. And now I feel like we're going back to, yeah, they're pretty round. (laughs) Well, I mean, they're a cloud because we don't know, you know, necessarily where they are. And they don't follow a prescribed orbit. Like that whole orbit of an electron is bogus. I know, but I feel like when you say cloud, it makes it feel like we don't know at all. Like it's fuzzy. Like we don't understand it at all. But we understand what it looks like now. I mean, I think we did before, but... Well, interesting. So, it I did find it, you know, the, they want to see how spherical is the electron. Okay, well, the electron pops in and out of existence according to quantum theory, and mm-hmm. that's about as much into quantum theory as I know. Yep. Uh, so, okay, it pops in and out of existence. So, they're looking at the electric dipole field around the electron's perceived position. And if the electron isn't round the field should be non-dipole. And, you know, you've talked about lots of dipole fields on here before <laughs> saying, well, the Earth's 80% a dipole. Yeah. Well, yeah. electrons are like 100% a perfect dipole. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I thought this was really interesting because they're hoping to find ones that weren't because if that was asymmetric, then that would explain the asymmetry between the percentage of matter versus antimatter, which gets far above my pay grade. <laughs> Right. We know that there's a lot of matter and not enough antimatter to counterbalance it, and they should have been created in equal proportion at the Big Bang. Why is this so? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why does matter dominate antimatter? So this paper is a new bound on the electron's electric dipole moment by Rossi et al. That's a lot of people, too. Well, it was a relatively complex thing. It sure To measure was. how round an electron is. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, how did, how did they do this? I mean, you have to do some weird stuff. Yeah, so they're trapping ions in an RF containment field, <laughs> which is super cool. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so they are using hafnium fluoride ions. Okay. Already very weird. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they apply this alternating electromagnetic field, one, to help control their position, but two, they should, if they're not spherical, and this field, therefore, is not spherical, there should be some orientation changes based on the supplied field. Mm-hmm. Think of it like water molecules. When you put water in a magnetic field all the spin moments line up. Right. That is how proton precession magnetometers work. exactly right, yeah. Yeah, and we've talked about that at length. So they do that here. They get their little vacuum vessel. They ablate some of this hafnium fluoride, about 20,000 atoms, (laughs) and contain it with these eight electrodes, basically emitting RF radiation. And then observe, do we see any non-dipole moment in the decay of this? Mm-hmm. Not nuclear decay, but resonance. Right. And, and they don't. No. This is supposedly <laughs> twice as accurate as the most recent study. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love that it was like an improvement over that one to make sure it was right. Yeah, so, you know, we have reduced the uncertainty in how certain we are that they are basically (laughs) perfectly sphere. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, wow, it's just really weird. I thought the coolest thing was in there, they said that the precision in that is, like, if you blew up an electron to the size of the Earth, they know down to the atomic level that it is perfectly spherical, essentially. Right. Which is 
an incredible amount of accuracy and precision. Right. And this technique does have a name. It's called Ramsey spectroscopy. Mm. Uh, there's also a pretty rich literature on using radio frequency traps to hold ions in position. They're called Paul traps. Which is super neat. I got real Yes. I got real distracted by that. <laughs> Though to me the most fascinating sentence in here has no explanation because they say it like it's something, you know, I'm gonna <laughs> run to the corner store kind of thing. Like uh, the experiment begins with a pulsed beam of neutral hafnium fluoride molecules produced by ablation of a solid hafnium fluoride rod into a supersonic expansion of an argon and sulfur hexafluoride gas mixture. Mm-hmm. Yep. So to start the experiment, we're ablating a relatively rare material in a supersonic way into an exotic atmosphere. <laughs> As one does before measuring. That is the first sentence of the methods, and it has no further explanation. (laughs) Oh, man. I guess laser ablation is fairly easy to do, right? You just have this contained field and just saw some ions off of there. Yeah, but that's one of those sentences that belongs in, like, a three-body problem book. (laughs) Absolutely. Man, I can't wait for that Netflix show. Um (laughs) <laughs> just life-changing i love that i i pulled up the archive paper of this because yeah i did as well <laughs> yeah yeah i got real annoyed at this blockage by science so kudos to you guys yes would you for... like us to check if the paper is open access oh you need a login to do that mm-hmm, exactly <laughs> so thank you uh rusi et al for posting this to the archive yes well, if you've got your own measurement of the sphericity of electrons, if you figured out how to do your laser ablation of hafnium into a supersonic argon and sulfur hexafluoride environment, <laughs> we would really like to see that. Uh, Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? Uh, send us those videos. Um, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're also on Twitter or whatever it's called now. Uh, at Don't Panic Geo, I am at Shannon Doolin. John is at Geo underscore Lehman. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping us going. You can do so too. Patreon.com slash Don't Panic Geo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Unless you're an electron. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.